Hello and welcome to the second episode of Tango Banter, a podcast about tango and about life and how those two intersect. I am excited to connect with some of you who've listened to my first podcast and I want to um, express my gratitude for your encouragement and all the love I've been getting. So this week's podcast um, is going to be on the idea of competition in tango. This has been an interesting topic coming up randomly with different people. And my own experience with competition has to do with me being a woman. And so I know that a lot of you will relate to some of the stories I share. And uh, I would love for you to share your story with me if you decide to do that after you listen. Um, I think that would be great to, to hear your side of it. So anyway, I came to tango when I was in my 20s. And at the time, I had a lot of insecurities. And I think tango is very good at pushing us into our insecurities and confronting them. So competition is kind of automatically built into the experience. And this is both for men and women. And I think talking about the competitional edge among men deserves its own episode. So today I just want to talk more about my own personal experience of it and perhaps the general experience for women. But I do also want to chat about the, the men's side of, of this dilemma of how to deal with the competition that happens among men, because it's very, very stressful. So as a woman, when I was coming into tango, I did not have a very high opinion of myself. And I grew up being very conflicted about what being a woman is supposed to be and what is required. And I think being an immigrant from Russia coming to the United States and living in Texas, of all places, is, you know, it, it has its complexities. So I think I grew up with a very strange relationship with other women. I always felt uh, very intimidated by them especially when it came to body image. I, as a kid, I always was taller and thicker and stronger. And when I came to Texas, a lot of my classmates were petite, blonde, beautiful, very feminine girls. And I just felt like I didn't fit in. I was I was very sporty. I was kind of a tomboy in a certain way. And as I grew up, it ended up being that I always, I always felt that level of insecurity around women. And when I got into tango, it was so pronounced um, that I had many experiences in a social dance setting, like a milonga, where I would literally have panic attacks and sometimes would have to leave 
just because I would go in and I would see all these amazingly dressed women and I would feel like I would, I, I, I'd just say, oh, there's no chance for me. Nobody's going to dance with me. There's no way. I, I don't look like this. I don't dress like this. And it was very difficult, very challenging. And I do remember many nights where it would psych me out so bad that I would have to leave the milonga because I just felt terrible about myself. And at the same time, there was always this like looking at women from the corner of my eye and wondering about what is it that I could do to be more like that and, and try to emulating, try emulating them. And, and it was a, a long journey, uh, I think, that was also accentuated by the fact that I started dating other dancers. So it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a dilemma in tango that it's not really advisable to date people in tango, but then you can't like not do it because if you're a single person coming into tango, then all you're doing is tango and all you know is tango. So then w you wouldn't even want to date non-dancers so that became a reality for me i was just like i can't date non-dancers that's all i want to do is i want to dance so i was dating this guy uh for a while and we were in buenos aires together and he was very openly kind of pursuing the attention of other women uh and really talking in this way of like, oh, we're in an open relationship kind of thing, which was like, okay, I'm, I guess I will open up to the possibility of becoming okay with it and learning to own that. But at the same time, it was, it was quite uncomfortable. So there were many situations where I would go to the Milonga with him and I would observe him take a liking to a particular woman and immediately I would just have all this emotion and it was part anger, part fear, part self-loathing, part not feeling good enough and questioning my own worth and again a very uncomfortable place to be and a very difficult to have a good time being in that emotional state. Thankfully, by that point, I had more or less of a awareness, mindfulness practice, uh, some meditation that I was committed to. So through that effort, I came to the conclusion that the only way to address this was to meet it head on because the more... I allowed it to threaten me, the worse my experience was. And his experience was fine. He was having a great time. And there was not, um, there was not an opportunity to, for me to demand something different because he was very honest. He was like, well, this is what I want. So it's not like I can come to him and be like, 
oh, well, you know, I want something different. Because he would have said no. So I knew for me, I had to find a way to solve this for myself so that I was reclaiming my power in a way that was healthy, that was not damaging, and ultimately um, that served me, served, served me in my life. So I thought the thing that I need to do is I need to meet and talk to these women. So if I, I just made this kind of a rule that whatever woman I saw him chatting with and befriending, that I would go and befriend that woman. <laughs> and, you know, the funniest thing happened is that I made friends with most of the women. For him, it was more of like a fleeting kind of flingy, flirty type of experience. He ultimately wasn't looking to have a, uh, an in-depth connection. He was obviously not looking at it that way with me. But I developed a lot of really great relationships with women. And as I was talking to them, just really within a few minutes of chatting, a lot of times they would share with me uh, compliments about how they perceived me, or they would reveal to me their own insecurities, or some of them would even just kind of acknowledge what it was they were seeing in the behavior of my boyfriend, and like, oh yeah, I, I see what he's doing. And it kind of just really did this magical thing of dispelling all of my fears. And the extreme version of this, I, I'll share this story with you, even though I wasn't planning on it, but it's such a good story. I love, I love this is, that this is the lesson, ultimate lesson, how I learned this. So there was a particular young woman that my boyfriend was interested in, in Portland. And uh, he was honest about it, and I knew her, and so I was very threatened, and I felt so insecure, and she was, she's beautiful, she's got this blonde, long hair, beautiful body, I mean, she walks in a room, everybody's just staring at her, so of, car, of course I'm feeling all insecure, and uh, we, I, I approached her, and did the thing where I was like, you know what, I, let's get together, let's go out for dinner. So we go out for dinner, and at the beginning of dinner, I'm just feeling all, you know, that, that tension where it's like, oh, this woman, she's possibly stealing my boyfriend, <laughs> and I feel so insecure. And so we're having this dinner, and as we're talking and connecting, just gradually, very gradually, there's this realization comes over me that she was actually interested in me and that her interest in getting together with me was not, you know, to, to facilitate any kind of connection with him. She just, she actually really wanted to spend time with me and she was attracted to me. And I was like so floored. And I think... At that moment, I re it really solidified in my mind that all of this anxiety and fear I have around other women, that it's really a fabricated artificial layer 
inside the mind. It's not real. And that it really always is worthwhile to question it, to test it, to meet it head on. And this was, this was the way, I guess, uh, the universe taught me this. And to this day, I keep up with her and we're, we're good friends. And that's, that really is uh, a beautiful way to learn that lesson. So I also think over the years, what started happening is little by little, I started meeting women who displayed qualities that really showed a different possibility of how to be a woman. And it was little things, maybe it's, maybe it's the way somebody dresses or the way somebody acts and how they handle themselves socially. And there was this one particular woman who really is such a, a blessing in my life. Uh, and I met her in Portland. She was this older Jewish woman who recently, a few years ago, passed away. And I would come to the Milonga and I would sit next to her. And any time I asked her how she was doing, she would always, just with this absolute confidence, say, fabulous, of course. Like, how else? What else is possible? And uh, she always sat in the same seat and we would sit together and she would ask me questions. We have these, we'd have these chats, but any opportunity she had to hold me to a higher standard, she took it and she would not allow me to set, to say self-deprecating thoughts or express some sort of doubt in myself. She always Anything I said, she would always make sure that I was seeing it myself in the best possible light. And uh, she taught me that not, easy, not really in the way of like, oh, you should, you should feel good about yourself. It's not good for you to, to think badly of yourself. It was more like, this is what you owe to everyone. You owe this to me. You owe this to the people around you to think highly of yourself because you have a purpose and and you need to deliver that clearly and you won't do that unless you think highly of yourself. So that was like she was kind of she was kind of stern and sometimes I was even like kind of scared to reveal to her some of my insecurities cuz I thought she would lose respect for me if she knew that I'm actually very fragile and uh doubtful of myself. Uh, so the beautiful uh, lesson that she taught me is she, she would always be so youthful. She was, I think she was in her late 70s uh, at the time that I knew her. And I would see her outside of the Milonga smoking from time to time, sitting, chatting on her phone. And this is what I remember last, how I saw her. And it was at the Milonga, I was driving up and she was sitting outside on the steps having a smoke with her phone. And I just thought in that moment, how, how young she is, how she's in her 70s and here she is, she had this very modern haircut and, and you know, her hair was totally white, but she just kind of worked it to her advantage and she had heels on and she just looked so cute. And she's sitting on the steps and smoking and she's forever in my mind this this kind of image of rock and roll woman who is ever youthful and never 
never gives in to the pressures of, of society. She's just kind of walking to her own beat. And after she passed away, and I was, I was so excited that that's the last memory I have of her, to see her that way, I found out that she actually had cancer. And in some ways, my respect for her even amplified more because here she was probably by that point knowing that she didn't have much to go and she's smoking her cigarette she's dancing the night away she's in a great mood and she doesn't she doesn't let this tiny thing called death get in the way of her good time and that was really admirable and I took that with me and it's this is one of my little um, images one of my uh, inspirations that I hold uh, in my heart of, of her and so I, I really started during COVID to look more for those kinds of role models because I was really feeling uh, desperate for connection during COVID and it was the women I was missing and it was the social aspect of tango that I was missing. And I recently wrote a blog um, about five, five films that every woman should see and I'm going to I am going to leave the link to the blog in the description of this podcast so I won't I won't go into all five films but I wanted to talk about one of them because this is my newest role model that is very similar to this woman that I met in Portland and really exemplifies to me some of the qualities that I want to emulate and that obviously when we emulate they lead to a lot of success and success in tango I really believe and I found this to be true for myself and from watching others success as a tango dancer has so much more to do with our ability to connect with people versus our skills as dancers and and this is really profound I even I remember in in Buenos Aires at a particular milonga there was a woman who was there a lot who was uh, she was very small she was um, I guess that the the official ter term is actually dwarf. She was very very small, and she was kind of strange looking. And and in in a way, like I look at her, and she was dancing all the time, all the time. Everybody was dancing with her, and she was not a great dancer. She was not um, your ideal look of beauty and and you know dressed up and and showing off. She was she was just a normal person. She was actually even a strange looking person but here she was dancing and I thought how how does she do that how does she actually do better than me I'm sitting out tanda after tanda she's out there dancing and I as I observed her and I observed people around her I noticed that she was always being hugged by someone and uh, talking to someone somebody's always inviting her to be part of her group and so that's another example of how powerful it is for us to learn to connect with each other and that, that the connection is what's going to pull us into the community and keep us there. 
And ultimately, that's actually what's going to improve our dancing, right? Like our dancing is going to improve because we're going to be connected with more people and we're going to be learning from each other more because there is that active connection. So the role model that I want to mention is this woman, Jackie Collins, uh, who's a writer. And uh, I, her documentary is called Lady Boss, and I highly recommend it. I was so excited. I was buzzed uh, so high off this film that I couldn't fall asleep. And I didn't know much about Jackie Collins, and I, I've heard her name maybe over my years being in the States, but I didn't really know who she was. So some of you might actually know her, uh, but she's a writer, and she's a writer of uh, uh, romantic novels, which are, you know, considered to be kind of trashy novels, but I, I think I like that even more because she made a name for herself in this way that's very unconventional. She was the sister of Joan Collins, who had a really illustrious acting career. So she started out as a bit of an underdog and had to really prove herself. But what I really appreciated, aside from this journey of the underdog, which seems to be my personal hero's journey, and I feel that I relate to that, but her lifestyle and her values throughout her lifetime really didn't budge. And it seems like whatever challenges life threw at her, she really was able to move through them with this grace, but also with a lot of power. And people didn't take her seriously, but she just kind of kept doing what she's really good at and relied on that. And she became obviously a role model for many women and continues to be a role model. And at the end of her life, she, uh, she did get cancer, spoiler alert. And she still, even in, in the last phases of her life when she was in a lot of pain, was committed to doing all of her social uh, social events and interviews, and she still showed up in that in that same way where she developed this this power about her. She wore a lot of uh, shoulder pads and big big hair and lots of makeup. And in a way, at first, you know, you see her and you're like, oh, that's so tacky. But as I watched her it's really obvious how carefully she crafted her presence and how adamant she was about portraying a woman in this really different way. And I guess her phrase was, girls can do anything. And, and she, she really lived that in, in her own way. And I appreciate seeing the documentary kind of giving us an overlook of the different ways she was challenged and ways that she was imperfect, but in her imperfection, she was able to craft something so unique, so her own, that she eventually was able to get the recognition that she deserved. And she did it 
you know, going to the her own beat of the drum, right? Like she she did it the way she wanted to. But the quality that really stood out to me, and this is what you know made me tear up. I, I tear up quite a bit when I watch these films. And with her, this really made me tear up, is that about two-thirds of the way through the documentary, a lot of the people that are being interviewed about her are her friends uh, and people she knew. And um, at some point, the interviewer asks the, the person to describe their role in Jackie's life, like who they were. And one after another, they were like, oh, I was her best friend. I was her best friend. I was her best friend. And that made me tear up so much because I thought, what an incredible quality that she had, that she was able to love people around her so much that they considered themselves to be her best friend. Um, and it didn't matter that she had multiple of them. It just, I guess to me, it spoke about this quality of being able to connect with people in such a generous way that you just feel like you're their best friend. And that's what I hope to cultivate more in my life. And I feel like that's what I envision as a medicine, as a perhaps solution for a lot of the problems we're having in the tango community with competition, with this feeling of not fitting in, of people feeling isolated or not sticking with tango because they can't find their little pod, they can't find connection, which there's a lot of people like that. And I feel this is what's happening through the work that we're doing by building up women in the tango community for leading and for me, the work has been to teach women to lead and encourage women to lead. And so I guess I am using this opportunity to also encourage you to, you know, take intentional steps to develop these kinds of connections. And if you're ever at a milonga and you want to talk to a woman, but you decide not to because you feel they're too popular, they wouldn't want to talk to me, or they're, they don't really like me, I, I'm not cool enough, they're over there with their cool people and they wouldn't want to talk to me. I, I encourage you to maybe question that and maybe step into that fear and go up and say hello. And if not that, maybe even just sending them a Facebook message and saying like, oh, I want to say hello. I, I get that a lot, actually. I've been getting a lot of messages from women who say, oh, you know, I see you at the Milonga, but I, I feel insecure, or I guess they wouldn't admit to feeling insecure, but they'd be like, oh, I, I didn't want to interrupt, I didn't want to intrude. And so some of that is just breaking through that, that barrier of feeling like we're, we're, uh, we have to be a certain way in order to deserve someone's attention. And really just, just think of, every woman as a possible best friend because honestly that's what I'm finding every time I end up talking to a new woman that I that I've been seeing a lot but haven't really connected with once I start talking to them 
I'm thinking, gosh, you know, where, where have I been? Why haven't, why has this taken so long? Um, so that's my encouragement. I hope that you can draw some inspiration from these little stories. And I would, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this. There's been, we've been having some really nice conversations. So feel free to shoot me a message on, on Facebook or send me an email uh, at connect at so I'm so tango.com and uh, let's keep talking about this I'm I'm uh, really interested in what you have experienced in in this way so thanks for listening and uh, I'll be back next week for another brief banter about life and tango and all the things that come with it and I hope you have a great week We'll chat next week. Ciao.